So we see from God's revelation to man in the story of Abraham, what rational process or procedures that man should follow to come to understand his environment and himself. This is why Abraham in religious scriptures is called father of the nations. By patterning our thinking in the manner that Abraham used, nations can advance to a higher level of knowledge and understanding of God's creation. Abraham first thought that the stars was God, then the moon, and finally the sun. Now, Prophet Muhammad, Allah's last messenger in his sunnah, has taught the Muslim, the believer, that Allah's revelations in the Quran carry a type of duality of knowledge or light of knowledge to the meaning of God's messages to mankind. The words of the Quran have a fundamental or basic meaning for those who follow to pattern and conduct their life and their life activities by. Fundamental meanings, fundamental things that you should do within yourself or with yourself, with your family, your children, and your fellow man. How you should interact, how you should carry out your business, how you should relate, relate to one another in society, relate with your wife, and other aspects of human life. But also, there is a more intrinsic meaning to the language of Quran that many men will miss upon a first reading or a first glance. A more allegorical meaning. Let me explain. Although we see stars and we know stars in today's knowledge are nothing more than suns like our suns in distance galaxies or solar systems that we have uh, identified in the cosmos. In religion, stars represent the light of man's inspiration, which arises during times of ignorance. During times of ignorance, meaning backwards thinking, irrational thinking, illogical thinking. Allah will inspire men to grasp a twinkling of light, meaning knowledge, that will help mankind to lift himself out of difficult times. This is why we see the stars only at night. This knowledge that these men develop from their studies is not divine revelation from God, as we know in religious scriptures, the various religious scriptures. Nevertheless, the understanding of creation de developed from the works of these devoted men of science has enough impact for the betterment of society so much that looking from a distance that to the unsophisticated mind, this light may appear to be the light of God's revelation.
This is why in religious scriptures, we see the symbols used or the symbolic use of scars to describe this type of knowledge. Man, over many hundreds of thousands of years, I would say of social and intellectual development, in time have come to use such symbols as stars, the moon, and the sun to describe what he developed, learned, and experienced from learned men in his societies. So God, the creator, uses the same symbolic language that man has come to use and is familiar with in his understanding and his social teachings. In fact, it is Allah who set man on the pattern of development that caused him to pursue such symbolic language in the first place. This is all in the plan of God. As I stated earlier, from astrological studies, we now know that stars are just other suns in far distant galaxies. But to us here on the planet, we have named Earth. They are just called stars that twinkle in the dark as we watch them. And does not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in his holy Quran that has not he placed in the heavens the stars that help guide you, that point to you the way on your travel? And what is your travel? Your destiny. The destiny of man. Yet see how most men are arrogant and ungrateful. So this is what stars mean. The moon is only seen at night and appears as a much closer light than the stars. And the moon is out even when the stars are not. Now the moon is not the light that lights the world. But it is the reflection of the light that lights the world. The light of revelation in scripture is symbolized by the sun, God's revealed knowledge to man. Now, we can look directly at the moon during the night with no problem. The light is not so bright and hot as to blind the viewer. But the sun, its light is so bright and hot that to look at it directly too long could possibly blind you. God wants man to be able to see. In religion, see means to understand, to comprehend, to be able to rationalize and come to a proper conclusion or workable knowledge. God has over time sent guidance or information to mankind during man's development that will help man on his journey to fulfill his destiny. This message comes to mankind by way of individuals that we recognize and accept today as prophets. Furthermore, 
these prophets are spoken of in various religious scriptures, such as the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, etc. The prophets are men whose heart is so devoted to seek truth and to be upright in their personal concerns, their concerns from men, from man and society, to seek out what is proper for man and what is not proper for human development, for society, that they become a conduit to reflect the revelation of God or guidance that God intends for man to have. So in this sense, they are like the moon. The prophets are like the moon. They don't give us their intellectual creativity on the subject. They don't sit around and think about what they think it should be like coming from the intellectual, intellectual activity of their mind on what the problem is and how you should address it or what we might say today as they put their own spin on it. No, that's not what the prophets do. But they only reflect the knowledge that God intends for mankind to follow. So in scripture, this is like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. The light of the moon is bright. And men over the ages have come to use the moon to charter the changes of events observed over time. In fact, these records of events isn't, is time. In fact, these records of events is time. That's where the concept of time comes from. Don't you know that the moon is man's main celestial body that is used to observe and to follow time? So the light of God's revelations is reflected through the life of the prophets to help guide mankind even when the sunlight is not shining. The life and teachings of the prophets continue to shine long after the prophets are dead and gone. In the religion of Al-Islam, this life and teachings demonstrated by the prophet Muhammad wasallam, is called his sunnah. Now, the sun in scripture symbolizes the revealed divine knowledge given to man by way of his prophets from the creator. The divine, the revealed scriptures are heavy like the sun. And the scriptures are also hot and very bright. The sun is huge. A massive material of fire lodged out in space. In fact, if you want to appreciate the massiveness, the massiveness of the sun, picture a kernel of corn. One kernel of corn sitting in the center of the Dallas Cowboy football stadium. That's the relationship of our sun to the planet Earth. What does this mean in scripture, scripture language? It means man is not capable of understanding God's revelation directly with his mental faculties. God's truth, Allah's reality 
is so huge and massive, so entwined and throughout the universe that if you try to intellectually dissect what reality is completely, what God is, you burn up. You will go blind and soon everything you believe, everything you believe in will become nothing more than a fleeting figmentation of what is and what is not. The arrogant ones, the arrogant scientists, the arrogant scholars studies creation and say, aha, I finally have it. That all matter, all creation is composed of atoms. But in a little while, new discoveries suggest that man's mathematical equations and fundamental laws of science is not sufficient to explain physical reality completely. Too many holes and flaws in these fundamental concepts of chemistry and physics. So now he has to look deeper into the physical reality. He has to develop more powerful analytical instruments that will help him hold on to his precious laws and science that's so dear to him that he holds so dear to his heart in his mind. So now he has to discover and say, well, what about the protons? Then the electron. Then next, okay, we, we, that's not good enough. Okay, we found quartz. And, uh, okay, now we found mesons and pi mesons. And so on and so on. Still not enough. Soon in his frustration, he begins to talk crazy, deviating from using scientific protocols, established scientific protocols, the scientific method, and begin to just make up stuff, make up names or entities that he calls the God particle. This being, this must be the beginning of all beginnings, the Big Bang Theory, the God particle. But then, through all of this, he's still left with, okay, but what's beyond that? So you see, it's a never-ending search for reality, for the truth, trying to rationalize something that's beyond his scope. He has not come to understand that there is no beginning. Soon you will burn up, lose all seen in reality, go blind, left in darkness. Yes. Don't you know there are a lot of scientists that are now living in nut houses? Yeah, they, yeah, they are. Because they refuse to accept the divine revelations of God. God's knowledge is first revealed to man upon his heart. It is his pure intentions, the faith of men, his beliefs that finally awaken him in his thinking that drives men to seek out God's way, God's way about studying his creation using the activity of his intellect. So the sun is the revelation of God's message to man. The protocols that guide men on the straight path on towards his destiny in which the man was created originally to follow. But the sun does not just represent religion or God's revealed scriptures. 
but it also represents the light of creation. The mother book. God's revealed scriptures are a guide to lead man back to the big book. The book of all books. The creation itself. The physical universe. It is the light of God's revealed knowledge. The signs found in creation. The signs, right? And when I say signs, I don't mean S-C-I-E-N-C-E. In this sense, I mean S-I-G-E-N-S. The signs that man finds his way and is able to rise above the forces of gravity. The forces of natural law. His innate instincts. The emotional and biological urges of his primordial DNA. The sun is not God, but is the light of God's reality, both physical and non-physical, that contains knowledge, both divine and not divine, that the creator has established as a guide for mankind to fulfill his destiny. This is the way of Abraham, the upright one, the one on the straight path. It's God's divine message, his light that has guided man from an undeveloped creature into what we see today, an intelligent, progressing being. This is the great gift of God, Allah, to man, the Khalifa. The ability of man to study the signs in creation by combining rational thinking with spiritual intuition. Now can't you see why man is not like the animals? So the proper understanding of science and how scientific reasoning is to be used is a great force for the uplifting of men to better himself or themselves and his environment. Now the evil ones, the rejectors of faith, want to keep you ignorant to science proper and thus true God. For without science proper, you will never come to understand, appreciate, and reverence God as he should be reverenced. And instead, they would like to create an environment of lies, falsehood, and fantasies that will keep you weak and a slave to your physical, biological instincts. This concept of science that is taught in the early educational system is tied to mythology and Darwinism without most people's knowledge. These improper concepts of science, man, and nature permeate not only in our educational system, but even throughout the masses of the general public. Our schools, our churches, our mosques, in books, newspapers, television, radio, throughout all media and vast communication networks. You go to college 
and you think that you are getting a foundation of science in your educational pursuits when what you are actually being grounded in is something called pseudoscience. Accepting and following the thinking pattern or models of pseudoscience will never allow you to compete with the true intellectual planners of society and industry. Pseudoscience is designed to keep the common man inferior to a select few who consider themselves better than the common individual. Now, what is pseudoscience? I think the best way to explain pseudoscience to you is by way of an example. Now, recall the article that I referred to earlier that was recently published in the American College of Cardiology. This article also was cited in the British newspaper, The Telegraph. The title of this article was Fast Running is as deadly as sitting on couch. Now I'm going to uh, go through this article briefly and I'm only going to hit the finer points of it to bring out my point on what we're moving to here. And I think you'll see what a pseudoscience really is. Let's just take a look at this so-called scientific study that was recently published in this prestigious journal. Too much exercise really can kill you, scientists have discovered. After finding runners who speed along at seven miles per hour or more are doing themselves more harm than good. A study of 1,098 runners found that those who ran the fastest were nine times more likely to die prematurely within 12 years than those who enjoyed a more sedate pace of around five miles per hour for two or three times a week. In fact, this article goes on to say that strenuous runners were as likely to die as those who did no physical activity. It went on to say that when performed for decades at the fast activity level, this could pose health risks, especially to the cardiovascular system. Now, what they did in this article, they gave a little information in the telegraph, but I actually went back to the main article and got as much information out of it as I could. And you'll see uh, how all this comes together on how they came to their conclusion based on such scanty and incomplete investigations. These researchers looked at 5,048 healthy participants in the Copenhagen, Copenhagen City of Heart Study and questioned them about their activity. They identified and tracked 1,098 healthy joggers and 413 healthy but sedentary non-joggers for 12 years. Now recall that they didn't do any history on the 5,048 healthy participants. They didn't pull any medical history, any medical records. They simply asked them some questions, maybe filled out a questionnaire. 
They don't really say in the in the actual article, but it does just say they asked them some questions. Five thousand four hundred healthy participants, but they only tracked one thousand ninety eight healthy joggers, and then maybe they're saying that uh, those five thousand and forty eight healthy participants, only one thousand ninety eight were joggers who were healthy, and they could only. Out of that 5,040 healthy participants, find only 413 people that, do, that did not do any jogging at all. But they were healthy. This is what they label as sedentary participants. Now, they never asked the healthy people who did not jog, how are you staying healthy? They just assume they was healthy. They didn't say they, they had no diseases. They were not on, I guess, any kind of special medication. At least they didn't mention it in the study. The study goes on to say jogging from one to 2.4 hours per week was associated with the lowest mortality and the optimum frequency of jogging was no more than three times per week. Overall, Significantly lower mortality rates were found in those with a slow or moderate jogging pace, while the fast-paced joggers had almost the same mortality risk as the sedentary non-joggers. Now, let's look at this study more scientifically. But let, let me finish, finish this up, uh, up uh, and then I'll get back to my point. The researchers also registered 28 deaths among joggers, and 128 deaths among sedentary non-joggers. This is all in 12 years. So out of the total pool of people, 1,098 healthy joggers and 430 health, healthy but non-joggers, non 28 deaths was among the 1,098 healthy joggers and 128 among the non-joggers over 12-year period. Now, one of the first things that comes up in this study is a lot of information, but not as much as you think. Uh, mixed up, I would say, in a sense. And there's no real direction here. First of all, how did they determine that 1 to 2.5 hours per week was what these uh, joggers who jog slow and had the optimum frequency, frequency of jogging was the best amount of time spent jogging. Because, again, they didn't measure or monitor these people jogging one to 2.4 hours a week. That came out of a question. It's like you say, well, are you, are you a, um, a healthy person? Yeah, I think I'm pretty healthy. How many times do you exercise a week? A uh, couple of times. Well, do you run? Yeah, I run occasionally. Well, how, how, how many, how much do you run a week? How, how often, how, how, what about in hours? How would you say how much that is now? Uh, maybe two or three hours per week. This is all subjective investigation. There's nothing concrete here. But they're using this information from individuals to establish the basis for healthy jogging. Now, we already know when we ask people different questions, you're likely, you're likely to get any type of answer. 
Do you? It's like saying, when's the last time you beat your wife? Well, I really don't beat my wife. Well, I haven't beat my wife. But see, it's one of those kind of questions that is subject to the individual that you're asking. The answer you get is going to depend upon the individual asking. That's why in science, you have to design and control the environment or the experiment in which the environment is being conducted in. In this case, this is not happening. Okay? Now, let's look at this even more carefully here. Or closely. Let's get to the, the meats and bones of this study. Okay, we had 1,098 total runners. They broke it down, which they don't talk about in the Telegraph, but they do talk talk about it in the uh, the actual paper. They broke it down even more uh, categorically. Out of those 1,098 total runners, only 40 of those runners were classified as strenuous runners, meaning people who ran a lot every week and they ran very fast. How did they determine this? By asking a question. Again, do you run when you run? Are you running fast? Yes. But how fast are you running? How do they know they're running seven miles per hour versus two miles per hour? They didn't actually do a test. This is based on what the individuals are telling them, and then they're extrapolating and getting this information. Again, they got this information by asking questions. So that means 838 runners was light to moderate runners. So out of that 1,098 total runners, 40 were classified as strenuous runners. 838 were classified as light to moderate runners. Well, what happened to the other runners? Well, they didn't say anything about them. They got sanitized out of the study. That's another problem in a pseudoscience. They got sanitized out of the study. I mean, they, was, they got eliminated because they didn't fit a certain model that they were trying to achieve. Now, out of those 40 individual runners, in 12 years, actually in 10 years, the newspaper says 12 years, but the actual study was 10 years, Daryl recorded two deaths out of those 40 runners in 10 years. This comes out to be approximately 2.5% of the strenuous runners in 10 years die. Out of the 838 light to moderate runners, there were 15 deaths in 10 years, or approximately 1.8% of the light to moderate runners died in this 10-year period. Now, they don't give any information about were these deaths actually related to the activity of the runners? I mean, by being a runner. They never said anything in the study that the coroner confirmed that the running was responsible for the deaths of the individuals. Nor did they list any other causes that might have been responsible for the death, like kidney failure, cancer, Diabetes. We just know that in 10 years, 
those people that they were following out of the 40 hard running individuals, two died. And out of the 838 light running individuals, 15 died. So from this information or from this study, we can see that the light runners or the strenuous runners had a lower death rate than the people who did not exercise at all. Because when we go back to the study, recall that out of those 413 people who did nothing, who sit on the couch, 128 of those individuals died. That's about a 31% death rate or mortality rate. That's a very high rate. So this shows basically that if you exercise, whether it's hard running or light running or any type of physical activity on a regular basis, you have a higher probability of living longer than people who do not exercise at all and just sit around on the couch and do nothing. But we already knew this. We've been knowing this for over 100 years. So this study didn't shed any light or new light on the results of the knowledge of what we already know in the medical community or in the scientific community that if you continue to stay in shape throughout your life, you can improve your cardiovascular health. And there's a good possibility that you can live longer than if you did not do exercise. Okay, so this study has not told us anything so far, even more so because the sample size was so small for the strenuous runners, meaning we only had 40 people that we were following in 10 years and only two of them died, that the sample size is so small when you compare it against the pool of runners that were light, then for all practical purposes, that 1.8% death rate versus the moderate runners being slightly lower than the 2.5% for the strenuous runners because the pool is so small, for all practical purposes, those are the same number. Because anytime you have less than maybe 100 tests or 100 people in studies like this, when you do your statistical analysis, it's going to be high. The smaller the number of samples, the higher the error or percent error or the deviation from the norm. This has clearly been established in scientific protocols, scientific testings. That's why we have to take so many samples. That's why when they do studies, they have to study not just 200 people, they have to study 5,000 people, 10,000 people, so that the numbers will smooth over what we call the perturbation, the abnormalities that's always embedded in these type of studies. So when you have only 40 people, that pool is so small that for all practical purposes, 1.5% versus 2.5% or 1.8% versus 2.5%, that's the same number. In other words, statistically, there's no difference in the death rate of those individuals who were moderate runners or light runners versus those individuals who were strenuous runners. So this type of study, this type of work was published in a prestigious journal. 
And then an even more prestigious newspaper, The Telegraph, cited it, reported on it, and ran the news all over the world. And this is supposed to be science. And people just eat it up. They ate it up because the average person does not understand nor is not capable of using scientific, rational thinking protocol because they have never been taught how to. Yes, you can be taught how to think like this. You were born with it when you came into this world. You don't believe it? Well, just watch a newborn baby a few weeks old or maybe a couple of months old and notice how they follow things with their eyes. If you move to the right, they move to the right. If you go down, their eyes go down. If you go up, their eyes go, they, their eyes go up. You move your finger over here, their eyes go over there. You move your fingers to the left, their eyes move to the left. And if you leave your finger too long in front of them, they're going to reach out and study it. They're using a process of thinking to come to a conclusion of how are you making these motions? How are you making these anatomical movements? And pretty soon they're moving their finger to the left. And they're moving their finger to the right. Oh, yeah. Another point to raise here about the study on fast running is that it is a poor attempt to imitate what is known in science as meta-analysis or meta-analytical studies. Now, a meta-analytical study is a way of indirectly trying to get to data or get to information or draw a conclusion which will help you go to further analysis or maybe give you some information that will lead you to further developments or further studies by pooling different studies of the same investigation or similar investigation and analyzing the results and seeing are there some information that overlaps that may give you information or better or clearer understanding of the overall problem under investigation or some overall overall um, health uh, ailment like cancer or diabetes. There are different clinical studies and we pool those different studies together and see is there a common or are there common overlapping po points from various studies and which would, may shed some light on where we need to go with future research. These are called meta-analytical studies. Meta-analytical studies are used quite often in medicinal interventions when clinics and pharmaceutical companies want to study and compare different clinical reports without spending a lot of money. Now, meta-analytical studies don't really do research investigations directly, but attempt to gain insight on possible trends, as I said earlier, by comparing and statistically analyzing published research results. As a scientist, I, like many other distinguished 
scientists conclude that meta-analytical studies can only at best give possible directions on what type of research investigations may be of value for future collaborations or follow-ups. However, meta-analysis studies in most cases cannot correlate cause and effect. Only true research studies following the scientific method can make such comparative and correlations. And this brings me to the biggest flaw in the study that was published in the American Cardiology Journal and also cited and referenced in the newspaper, The Telegraph. And that is this, that observation does not necessarily equate to causation. Just because you observe an event does not imply that you know the cause of the event. The truth of the matter is that the journal study did not prove anything except what we already know. That people who exercise are going to be healthy people or going to be healthier than those people who do not. Other than this, there was no real research done in this study on jogging. In fact, the only true evidence of the use of the scientific method was number one, an observation, and number two, data gathering. The study basically did a bunch of data gathering. The study is simply a weak computation of small sampling or pool of people based on subjective feedback from individuals in an uncontrolled environment. No experiments, no analysis, no data analytical investigations or interpretations. Hence, you can draw no real conclusions. Just one big observation and some data gathering. Now, I'm not saying that if you see somebody, you observe somebody, jump out of a car, walk into a restaurant, pull out a gun, and rob the restaurant, that that person is not guilty of the crime. That's different. Because now you have the total picture, you have all the information, you have the beginning and the end of that event. You really don't have to do any research unless you just want to know why he robbed the restaurant. That's a different situation. But when we don't know all of the sequences of the events from the beginning to the end, then a more scientific approach, more scientific protocols and methods of thinking and evaluating observations have to be followed. So this recent publication on jogging is what I would classify as pseudoscience. A lot of pomp and glitter much hyperbola, but no substance. Because of how the media reports on new scientific developments, this sensationalism, hyperbola style of news reporting has left the common man, the lay person, with the idea or notion that an observation suggests cause. We see this a lot now in the media, in video in police reporting, 
Just because an individual is standing outside or someone is standing near a restaurant or someone has to be in the area when something happens, and here we go, he must be the one, he's on video, he's standing there, he had a backpack on his back. We equate that to the guilty person. He must be guilty. He must have committed the crime. Then we start developing or acquiring circumstantial evidence that will tie his fate to the crime. Now look, if they have video on somebody robbing a drugstore, or they have video on you, brother, robbing a drugstore or robbing a restaurant, don't come out and tell, start telling people, well, look at here, observation does not equate to cause because they got you dead center. But these are all circumstantial evidence and are associated with events that we see every day. Now, many right now are saying to themselves, this may very well be a good lecture on science and systems of knowledge, but how are the African-American people and people in general to incorporate this information into practical applications to solve problems found in real life situations look if you take on this scientific mental disposition if you take on a scientific rational approach of determining the sequence of events or figure out a plausible reason why your situation is what it is today don't you know your problem is gonna be solved pretty soon oh yeah it will not take as long as you may think to come up with workable and practical solutions that would help alleviate the many problems we find in the black communities that are holding us back from realizing real economic and social progress. The African-American people need to become more scientific in their way of thinking more rational. Stop being so emotional, responding to a stimuli like Pavlov's dog. The Russian physiologist Ivan Pavlov, known for his work of classical conditioning. Ivan Pavlov noticed that dogs produced more saliva once they knew that food was about to be served. So he conducted many experiments by ringing a bell every time he was about to feed his dogs. After many experiments, he could just ring the bell and even though there was no food being served, the dogs would salivate at the mouth. Thus, he was able to affect a biological response by adjusting the environment, by the introduction of a stimulus, a ringing bell. These experiments that were conducted by Ivan Pavlov and the corresponding results suggest that not only is it possible to affect the biological response of an animal, and also possibly humans, but it is very well possible to affect the emotional and psychological response of even human beings by the introduction of a stimuli into their natural environment. So don't get suckered into social and psychological experiments like Pavlov's dog. Become a free thinker. Start using the scientific methods of rationalization to solve your problems.
Yes, the scientific method, observations, data gathering, hypotheses, experimentation, analytical evaluation. Publish your results in a truthful and unbiased fashion. This type of mindset will help raise the African-American people out of the low state, out of the regressive state that we found ourselves in today. Look, you had better learn how to do this. Don't you know that's what they're doing to you? The powers that be, they observe you. They run experiments on you. They have hypotheses. They say, okay, what if we put them in this kind of situation? What do you think would happen? All right, let's get enough information. How many unwed mothers? How many brothers in jail? How many brothers not going to college? How many people are using drugs? How many people fall in a low-income family situation? How many are living in the ghetto? How many live in the suburbs? They do gather-gathering. In the community, the larger community, the educational community, they call this surveillance information. Then they run experiments on you, put you in certain situations. Sometimes they may change the street, block off the street to make it difficult for you to go to work. So you have to go a long way around work to see how you're going to respond to it. Sometimes they close side of this side of the town of the this side of the street that you live in, close the park, part me so that you don't have a park to go to for a few months. Maybe they'll cut off the water in your area for a few days just to see how you're going to respond to the stimuli. And then they make plans on how they're going to direct your future. Huh? You know, these things go on every day. So you had better start thinking scientifically to control your own destiny. If you start thinking like this, using the scientific method, you'll begin to see why or what's keeping the black man unemployment, the high black unemployment rate. You begin to come to solutions on how to solve the aggregate crime situation in our communities. Also, the problems that's in uh, the black families, why our black families can't stay together, and even some of our health concerns. These are all things that can be solved using intellectual methods of thinking developing programs born out of intellectualism scientific intellectualism based on common sense why should our scientific thinking be supported by our common sense it is because without common sense the rational thinking potential that all men have is capable of starting a fire god the creator has clocked into man's essence the innate ability to find solutions without necessarily the need for a lot of education. Man has over thousands of years through trial and error found solutions to problems that affect himself and his society even without the benefit of great technological advances. This has been the basis of our survival and social growth for over tens of thousands of years long before the concept of a school or a university came into existence. It is this common sense that drives man to think deeper on how to develop systems or structures that will keep him warm during the wintertime, that'll keep him cool during the summertime, and so on. Soon, his common sense will lead him into great intellectual advancement and achievement. But if he loses contact with his common sense, he may eventually grow into being an evil creature, an outright devil, thinking that he can control nature himself. But it is his common sense that will keep him well grounded in truth and righteousness. 
I'm not the first person to bring this proposition to the black man in America. There have been many before me that have come pointing us to think more scientifically or to at least become more rational in our thinking. Men like Crispus Attucks, Booker T. Washington, Benjamin Banneker, Frederick Douglass, W.E. Du Bois, Noble Drew Ali, Marcus Garvey, Elijah Muhammad, Dr. Benjamin Mays, El Hot Shabazz, and the late Imam Wadith Udin Muhammad. All of these men came trying to inspire the African American people, the so called black man of America, to think more rational, to think more scientifically, to use logic, rationality, and common sense to, to apply to our everyday problems to help us solve our everyday problems and not being so emotional, so oversensitive to some of the elements, some of the social problems that we were facing during the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and even today. All of these men came pointing us to a way of common sense and using science and rationality. In fact, it's the African-American who helped pioneer much of the science in America today. I know you don't know about many of these people because the general public, the educational systems, the institutions don't want the American people to know the impact that the African-American man, the African-American has had on the educational systems, the science systems, the knowledge-based systems here in America that has helped pioneer and helped advance our country technologically as well as even in military applications. Men like Louis Latimer, Elijah McCoy, Garrett Morgan, Granville Woods, Percy Julian, the late Dr. Lloyd Hall, the great food scientist, also the nuclear physicist and nuclear chemist Lord Quatermain helped work on the development of the atomic bomb, the so-called atomic bomb that was supposed to be used to help stop World War II by dropping two bombs on the Japanese in 1945. All of these men make great contributions to the science in America. This is information that in general, most African-Americans are not even aware of. Common sense, science, yes. If we as a people accept this way, we will begin to quickly develop workable solutions to solve many of our issues. Why is it that we are still a people who continue to let other people charter our destiny for us? Why is it that we let other people develop plans and structures for our educational system and for our business system and our communities? Why do you allow other think tanks to develop plans for the future of the black people of America? Yes, we know think tanks do a lot of good that help develop long-term plans for the political and infrastructure economic uh, communities of America to make the country strong. And we should be all a part of this. I totally agree with this civil responsibility of government, but other communities also have their own personal private think tanks that develop plans for their communities. 
when are we going to start start to develop plans for our communities not just think tanks that are tied to politics we should have think tanks from the personal private sector of the african-american people we need to start chartering our own destiny why don't we try to do business with each other Many years ago, we had many businesses and they were very successful. Now, due to the economic restructuring of the whole world, business competition is very, very high. It's very, very great. The black man of America has been pretty much shut out of businesses. We don't even own stores in our own communities. We don't own little food shops or cleaning uh, uh, places so we can take our clothes laundry mats or places so we can clean our clothes why don't we own these anymore in our communities why don't we want to do business with each other now i know we say well you know we don't do right we we charge too high our service is not good that's what the white people tell you that's what the media tell you hell when you go to their stores they don't do give you good service either you know for sure that the Asians in your communities and other people in your communities they don't give you good business the food is high sometimes the food is old but you constantly still go back and shop there yet when a black man tries to open up a store when a black person opens up a store you want to chase us down and and and, and ask us when we're going to get the hookup and why are you doing this and why we can't get a cheaper price why don't you do us like like you do everybody else why don't you treat yourself the same way you treat everybody else when are you going to drop your tribal indifferences aren't you try tired of being in a tribe you had tribal problems before they brought you here to america don't think you came from no great universities no great colleges no great societies some of you did but most of you all came over here with a bone in your nose and some trinkets around your neck that's how they got you on the ship in the first place and you didn't get along when you was in Africa because he spoke a different language here. He had different markings here. He had on different clothing or different wear here. Now you got right over here in America and this system feeds you those same indifferences and you hold on to them. And now you can't get along here in America. That's why you here in America now. Had you been together and unified in Africa, it would have been hard as hell to get that many African-Americans on the slave ships and brought them over here to the new world, so-called new world. So don't think you came from no great situation, all of you. You may have a history of Africa. There's a great history of Africa. But by the time the white man had went into Africa and to the farthest corners of Africa, we had long forgotten our history. Much of our history had long passed away. When are you going to wake up and change your situation? Right now, we find ourselves today in anger over the recent shootings and killings of African-American men in our communities we hollering out marching in the streets some people are going around tearing up trying to protest like we did in the 60s much of that is just thuggery thugs taking advantage of people with legitimate gripes and concerns marching in our community you want your community to be strong you want to check the police people in the communities many of those individuals are corrupt don't think they just doing that out of protection or fear they just as corrupt as some of the criminals or some of the people that they're shooting down in the street in fact i wouldn't be surprised if many of them had relationships with some of those people and some of those instances that a dirty deal gone bad hell i'd be running too if i knew i had crossed the man and he was out to get me so we need to look at these things with a more rational eye a more logical and common sense eye, and try to figure out why these 
situations, these scenarios keep happening in different circumstances. You don't want the police in your community? Then police your own community. And you can police the police policing your community. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every six months buying the latest new Jordans or the latest NBA sneaker or some new fashion. Some of you so-called black power brothers and some of you so-called Muslim brothers and church brothers. Why can't you pull your resources and buy some sophisticated, cheap recording devices and set up strategic times that you can monitor your community. You can get short band radios and listen to all the police reports and monitor your communities. And you can be there on the scene when they're on the scene recording from a distance. Some of the technology now will allow you to record clear, even sound from a hundred yards away. You don't have to interfere with the police doing their job. You can monitor your own communities. You see, you don't have to have cheap cell phones. Spend some of that money on something legitimate. If you say that's your concern, but make sure that you monitor your community. Make sure you catch John's cousin robbing that 7-Eleven too. When you hear a break in, make sure you record him. Make sure you record the cousin of Jamie who lives in third ward, who came over to fifth ward and kicked in somebody's door and robbed their house. Make sure you're recording them too. Make sure you're going to be moral, moral, have a high moral value, not only just to police the police, but police your own community. You want to get the police out of your community? Help get crime and filth and drugs and low life out of your community. If you don't have any crime and low life in your community, what the hell are the police doing in your community? Start by helping clean up yourself first, too. Clean up that, protest, make your complaint, but also get your own house in order. When we, be, get, when we get stronger communities, more cleaner communities, people who are concerned about the welfare of the people in the community, not afraid to turn in a crook. When we're ready to run some of these crooks out, run some of these gangs out, run some of these thugs out here, if we have to pick up weapons, we may have to pick up weapons one day and run their ass out. But get them out of your damn community and you'll get the law out of your community. Peace be on you. Assalamu alaikum.